if you will grab your Bibles, we are in Romans 128 this morning. Actually, going to start out at 121 for a second. But um, as we get into the book of Romans, I, I do want to remind us to be thankful. And giving thanks to God is, is what Joshua was, was kind of talking about here. Because in Romans 121, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. You know, that led to the sins that we're going to be talking about and that we've been talking about as we've gone through this passage uh, slowly uh, of, uh, you know, that, that Paul has put together this list of things. It's not an all-encompassing list, but it's a good list to start out with. You know, this is the basis of all wickedness, all the wrong thinking that's in this world, is that people forgot to be thankful. And this is just really weird, because the beginning of all sin, you would think it would be different. But instead, it's the attitude that we've earned it in life. Have you ever had that attitude? I deserve this. You know, you, you, you know whether it's a raise at work or whatever it is, you know, we, we think, well, we deserve this. My son, every time he sees the little symbol of Target, he thinks he deserves a toy. And I'm like, no, you don't deserve a toy right now. But it leads to pride and all these other things. Whereas if people would just stop and be thankful, if my son would just look around his room, he would understand he has way more junk than he needs, okay? It might keep us out of sin. It might keep us away from other mistakes. And it would definitely change our outlook on life if we were a little more thankful. We just need to be thankful. Literally, just need to be thankful. Because God has blessed us. And if we are like this, we start to become the type of person that God really wants us to be. And the byproduct of it all is we become less sinful in the process when we become more thankful. So this morning we go on to verse 20. It says, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what they ought, ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew know God's righteous decree that that those who do such things deserve death, death they, not, they not only continue to do these things, these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. There, you, therefore, have no excuse. You pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, nothing keeps us away from the Lord than... Uh, or more effectively than our own blindness to sin, our own idea that we have no sin in our life, this, this idea that, that uh, you know, our own pride tells us, well, I'm not as sinful as Andy sitting down here, because Andy, I mean, he's sinful, I mean, and I'm just not that sinful, you know, and our mind just goes that way, and Jesus says that he came for the sick. He didn't come for the healthy. Jesus came for the sick, those who, who are sick and need a doctor to say that my nature, 
My nature is sinful, so therefore, I need a doctor. I need someone to help me. See, my nature is uh, to distract myself with things that, that oftentimes will hurt me and hurt others. And as soon as we go there, as soon as we start to go, man, Lord, my nature is to be sinful, where does the Holy Spirit go? He goes to grace and goes to mercy for us. As soon as we recognize that, as soon as our conviction kind of pricks us and our, our conscience and, and it's brought up to the forefront about our desires in life, as soon as we start to have a repentant heart, God stays right there. And he doesn't beat us over the head. You know, we, we have certain friends that will just kind of beat us over the head. You know, or certain parent, <clears throat> parents, I mean, um, you know what I'm saying? That will just continually and go after it and go after it and go after it where the Holy Spirit is sitting there going, now, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I saw the look over toward a parent. Don't get me wrong. Parents need the parent. And sometimes we have to stay on our kids, okay? I mean, that's just truth. But we also, and I'll be talking about that a little later, we also need to be the, the most patient in the family, which I'm working on. Oh, pray for patience, you know? Pray for, for fathers that need patience, mothers who need patience in the family. But when we have a repentant heart, God doesn't beat us over the head like some other people, you know? An authority figure who doesn't know how to handle authority. You know, as soon as we go toward repentance, God brings grace. And here's the problem with that. We've so effectively taught grace in the church that we always run toward grace and we skip repentance. We always run toward, well, I can get away with this. I can do this because I know that God will forgive me because God has grace. And we've talked about, I mean, here comes the the dump truck backing up, beep, 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 dumps a load of grace for the day, you know? And certainly God does that. But somehow we figured out we have permission, and we go on hurting those around us. We go on not maturing in the faith, living in immaturity and not bearing fruit in our own lives. See, they're not doing the things that the New Testament says. The natural things would happen when we turn our lives over to God and we start to doubt whether they, you know, we look at certain people and we start to doubt whether they turn their life over to God or not because there would be fruit if they turned over their life, some kind of evidence of that. And we struggle with the need and and we ask for repentance. You know, I did it again because I don't see how destructive the sin is in my life or how it would affect others. So it wakes us up a little bit, and we mourn over our sin. And Paul says, he says, Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Then Paul kind of goes on and describes the depraved, depraved mind. He makes his, uh, the list that we've been slowly going, going through. And, you know, and it breaks down the, the healthy human-Christian relationships that we should have, and we start ending up looking just like society. And there's nothing worse than a Christian mirroring society. So now we've got here, we, we've slowed down, we haven't stalled, we're just going slow a little bit. And this morning we're going to pick up on this list, and we're going to cover uh, four or five different words here. One is malice. And the word malice is, is a desire to hurt someone. Or the pleasure that we receive when someone gets hurt. You know, we go, oh, look at that. They just got paid back. Karma, baby. 
karma. I can tell you how many times I see that on Facebook. Oh, karma. You know, they'll just put the word karma, you know, on, on something that happens. And, you know, they deserved every bit of that. See, the world is obvious when, when, when they act like this, but the church is more subtle. The church goes, oh, well, I guess you reap what you sow. You see how subtle that backhanded slap is? Oh, they, oh, you reap what you sow. And there's a satisfaction that we get when someone else suffers, uh, suffers, and this is malice. And Paul lists this as a sin. Wow. I'm thinking about how many times I've thought that. I'm sure you can imagine how many times you've thought that. Uh, they got what they deserved. Paul doesn't get a satisfaction when we suffer. Jesus doesn't, you know, isn't satisfied. He doesn't enjoy it when we suffer. This is why it saddens me when, when someone I know who isn't a Christian passes away. Because it saddens me because I know they're going to suffer. It's not the nature of God. It's not the nature of God's children to think, well, they're going to burn in hell now. Whoo! That's not God's nature. And that's certainly not our nature. It shouldn't be. Now, many people suffer here on this earth. And you know, oftentimes brought on by our own foolish behavior. And we shouldn't enjoy that either. So here's the deal. If you feel like this towards certain people, we need to ask ourselves this question. Why am I like this? Why am I like this? Many times it happens because we've been hurt ourselves. I, man, I tell you. You know, a malicious person enjoys hurting others. And a hurt person, if they're not healed, can easily become a malicious person. And this is a vicious cycle that goes around and around. This is why it's so important for us to, to search our hearts as we, as we mature in the faith. And we search our past, our past experiences and our past conversations that we might have. And everything that's happened to ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, is there any bitterness that's still stuck there? Any malice? Am I willing to go to the Lord and, and forgive that person when such a bad thing maybe has been done to me? Some of us aren't there yet, you know? Not ready for, for the Lord to, to forgive. And that's okay because our God's a big God and He can handle that. And we're just being honest. Because we shouldn't come to church and just give the right answer all the time. You know, the right answers. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, repentance, forgiveness, yes, I forgive. When inside, we're sitting there going, no, I'm not ready for that. But I want to challenge you. If you're not ready to for, forgive somebody today, maybe by next Sunday, maybe by Thanksgiving, maybe by the end of the month, I don't know, where you could come to celebrate and be thankful for the forgiveness of others. And you can process through this malicious thing that was done to you and actually let it go. Because the longer we hold on to malice, the longer we hold on to that, that hurt feeling, the easier, easier it is for us to become the malicious one. Well, I would never do what they'd done to me. I mean, are you kidding me? I know how it feels. I would never do that, some of us would think. But I'm telling you, if we don't let stuff go... We find ourselves in that exact position and doing the same thing. The wound that does not heal, it begins to fester, and it affects the rest of your body. And then when somebody bumps you, what happens? Man, they get the wrath. 
You know, I can always tell when my blood sugar is low because I'm really quick to criticize my kid or jump on my kid for, for not doing something right when my blood sugar gets low. You know what I'm saying? I have to be careful of that. Some of us even, you know, use the excuse, well, you know, I have issues. Well, we all have issues. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Someone needs, you know, we have this idea that someone needs to pay. You know, some of us even think, you know, along the lines of this, what right do you, pastor, have in saying the idea you need to forgive? You haven't been hurt like I've been hurt. Well, first of all, that may not be true. I mean, I talk a lot about myself up here because I want you to understand how God deals with me, and maybe you can figure out how God can deal with you and so forth. But I don't tell you guys every little thing that, that happens to, to my wife and I and over the years and so forth. We have to be careful of that. Things have hurt me along my journey in life, just like they've hurt you guys. But beyond that, even if whatever it is hasn't actually happened to me like it has to you, could I still be speaking truth about what you're experiencing? Hmm. Because Jesus knows. God knows what you're going through. He's experienced it all. He understands. Jesus was the ultimate receiver of all things considered malicious even to the point of them putting him on the cross. He knows how it feels to be unjustly accused. Have any of you been unjustly accused lately? He knows about being spat upon, about his friends betraying him. He knows about you know, how it is to stand all alone during it all. I mean, his friends couldn't even stay awake to pray with him. And the enemies, many of those he never met, were wanting and desiring to kill him. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ could have paid the price for our sins a totally different way, a much simpler way. But he did it the hard way. He came down to this earth. So, so we couldn't say, well, you just don't understand, God. You just don't understand, Christ. He understands. Jesus knows what it feels like to, to get ripped off and betrayed and, and hurt. He did it so we could trust him enough to let him be the great physician. So the question is, do you trust him? Literally, do you trust God enough to give over your hurts to him? He is the great leader. He is the great counselor. He's the great healer. He is the great physician. Now, when I was in college, I was an athletic trainer for University of Houston. Took care of injured athletes and stuff. And, and this kid, during a game, I say kid, a college student, um, during the game, he dislocated his shoulder. Okay, And the way he dislocated his shoulder, usually it's no big deal. We can pop him back in. We sit down on the ground. We grab the shoulder, put a little thing. It just goes, and it goes right back in. Okay, You have to make the sound. You know, it's awesome. Um, but this kid, when he came off the field, you could tell something was wrong. His arm already had started to, to turn red and stuff because the blood supply was getting pinched off. And, and I mean, he was screaming at the top of his lungs. So his, his nerves had gotten kind of messed up in there. And the doctor came over, of course, and he said, he said, Alan, go grab the two biggest linemen you can find and get them over here quick. 
So he got the kid to lay down on the table. He goes, now, when I lay down on the ground and put my feet, uh, feet on the, top, uh, the bottom side of the bench and I grab his arm, I want you guys to jump on top of him. Because he knew that if he didn't get this done quickly enough, it would lead to more danger for the kid in the arm. Okay, he was the doctor. He was the physician. He knew what he was doing. So as soon as he grabbed that arm, we jumped on top of the kid. And the kid's like trying to get up. He's trying to, you know, he's bouncing off the table because he's hurting. And the doctor's grabbing his arm and yanking on it all to save his arm. You know, many times we thrash around screaming, yelling, yanking, and everything else about what God is putting us through. And let's not forget that he's the ultimate doctor that knows best what needs to happen for us. There are times when he will take us and it seems like he will want to hurt us. And we don't like it because we don't want the pain. Yet he is trying to heal us. See, our God can handle being cussed at. Our God can handle being yelled at. He knows what it's like. But he also knows that sometimes he does it to heal us. This is why we got to have friends around willing to jump on our backs and keep us there for a while during the process, even though it can be painful. And we got to remember not to become bitter. We don't keep our, our, you know, we don't keep our wounds. When we keep our wounds, it's like, a, like a, an animal that's been hurt. And what does an animal do when it's hurt and you try to go help it? It's trying to bite you because it's afraid that you're going to hurt him more or something. You know, he just gets all afraid and he starts snapping at you and starts biting you. And so when you're trying to help him, we are like that when we are hurt and we don't give it back over to God. Let me ask you this. Is there anyone here that could raise their hand and say, you know, I was once severely wounded in a terrible situation? If that's been you, raise your hand. I can raise my hand. Many of us here have been hurt. And sometimes that happens by even the closest people to us. People we consider friends or, or those that, that, uh, that are friends because they're family. <laughs> Gotta love that, right? And we have to... to to be healed. We have to not hold on to that bitterness. We have to to hand that over to the Lord. Unfortunately, many of the wounds come from inside the church, inside religion. You know, Christians act out. And we have to become a safe place, a place where the Lord can heal each other, and we can go through this. And even if it's one of you that offended me or one of uh, you that offended somebody else in the church, that we can heal together. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord can heal. So we don't act out. Oftentimes we sin because we're wounded. We go to the lowest common denominator that we can find because we're hurting. And oftentimes that's pleasure. That's sin. Because anything else kind of reminds us of the pain. We need to allow the doctor to heal us because holding on to it will hurt you because vengeance is the Lord's, it's not ours. If we hold on to vengeance, we can guarantee an infection in our life. If that kid's shoulder had not been put back in place, 
probably would have been infected. Tissue would have started dying. He would have lost his arm. So what would you rather do? Go through a little bit of pain or lose an arm? Hmm. See, the young man was very hacked off at the doctor. He did not like that doctor anymore. I mean, he was on the team for a couple more years, and he he did not like that doctor. And sometimes we're like that with God. God actually loves us enough to pin us down and to help us, and it seems like he's hurting us, and then we come back and we don't like the Lord so much. We don't like the Lord. But we need to allow him to heal us. Because when we don't heal, we become malicious. When we become malicious, it's like handing, handling a nuclear material. If a person doesn't have the right clothing on, the right protection, what happens? You get contaminated and you're, you start hurting even more. And, you know, we need, to, we need to become a nuclear-free zone in a sense to truly let something go. What helps us is that we remember that God forgave us so much to allow us into heaven. So therefore, we can forgive others. Well, let's keep going on the list. Uh, what else is on the list? Uh, it says here that they're full of envy. And, and, and the word, it's the word, uh, and I'm going to, you're going to hear me pronounce it and you're going to think the other one, malevolence instead of benevolence, Okay. It's when we're, you know, this uh, covetedness, uh, you know, fills us and drives us. And, and, you know, we talked about being, you know, covetedness and having that in our, our, our minds and wanting and wanting and de- desiring. We've already kind of talked about that. Well, malevolence is, is ugly. It's all-consuming. You know, it's like I, I deeply resent the person who has whatever I really, 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 really want. Whether it's a great child, a good husband, or a good wife, or a child didn't die of an illness, or, uh, or something like that, or, uh, you know, I, I just want to have one child. Man, look at that family. They have four child, they, the children. They have six children. That's not fair. So they act out toward God's and, uh, you know, toward God and, and, and say, well, God, why have you given that to them and not us? And, you know, malevolence is something that proves that we really don't trust God. And we don't believe that God is a good father. Doesn't give us what we need. We need to be able to sit in any situation, any situation we're in, and say, God, you are taking care of me already. You're taking care of me. Oftentimes, not in the way I prefer. I can give you the list of my preferences, God, but still take care of me. See, malevolence is, is jealousy on steroids. One of the cures for being, you know, uh, having malevolence is benevolence, with a B. It's where you go, to, go somewhere and you see that, that life could be much worse. Every time I've gone on a mission trip, I've come back more benevolent. Why? Because I could see how, how much worse it could be depending on where I was born. I have a responsibility because I was born here in America, to be very benevolent with those around the world. Because I have so much stuff. I have so much junk I don't need. Many of us have so much junk that we don't need. Wow. You know, it's good for us to hang around with people who, who maybe have less than us. 
because it gets our eyes off the stuff that we have. The stuff that God hasn't willed us to have for the moment. And instead, we see malevolence as sin, this envy that we have, if we're not benevolent enough. It may be a sin for us. Now, Paul jumps, there's several different things here, and, and I'm, I didn't want to do an individual sermon for every one of them, so I'm going to jump on to murder, and Paul goes on to murder, and murder's talking, you know, or taking a human life in an illegal way. And we've done the study on a Wednesday night, and I think it's on the, on the website too, a longer study on, on murder. But God has even allow, uh, allowed and empowered governments to execute people. That's not considered murder. That's not an illegal way. God has allowed killing in war sometimes. Uh, God has allowed death during self-defense or accidental ho- uh, homicide. And, and we don't revel in it. We don't, we're not proud of that. But that is not murder, Okay. Not every, every death is murder, but Jesus kind of complicated this for us in a little bit because he said in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, that, you know, said to the people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject, uh, will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Wow. The Lord says, don't do these things and then show up in church and put money into the offering because he was kind of talking about all that at the same time. Instead, treat people right and then give your offering to God. This is like you know, brother and sister at home fighting, just going, I mean, just going after each other. And a parent shows up, you know, mom comes, comes home and mom hears them upstairs uh, uh, fighting away. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of them comes down and goes, oh, hi, mom. I was just up there playing with my brother. And the mom's sitting there thinking, you're lying to me. Child doesn't know that, you know, and the mom's like, don't, don't lie to me. I heard you. Go, you know, go apologize to your brother. Go apologize to your sister. It's the same, you know, the same is true in marriage. You know, if you treat her poorly on the way to church, or you treat him poorly on the way to church, you're fighting with, with each other and all that kind of stuff, don't show up and act like everything's okay. It's okay to come into church with a face that, that you're sitting there going, I would never let somebody see that face on me. Well, maybe you should come up, and then we can pray for you that way. You know what I'm saying? But we put on these smiles. Oh, how you doing, brother? (laughs) Been fighting all the way here. I'm doing great, brother. I mean, come on. Let's be real. The Lord is saying that he sees us fighting with each other. He's the parent. And he's saying that sometimes this is the same as murder that put him on the cross. Wow. Along the same lines, Paul talks about strife. Strife is, is all kinds of fighting, constant, you know, distress between people. It's a person who's always stirring the pot, you know what I'm saying? Always causing that strife. You know, uh, strife is a, is a word is related to the word striving. Okay, you know, striving, we all understand striving, method used to get what you want. And, and a lot of times people use strife to get what they want. If you don't get good customer service, you don't just complain. 
You complain loudly. I can't believe you're treating me this way. And all the other customers are going, well, what's going on over there? And, they, and what do they do? Because the customer is always right, correct? Absolutely not. But that's what we've been, you know, it's grained in our head. And, and then the other people out there are sitting there, you know, the, 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 the company or whatever sitting there going, oh, will you just shut up? So they try to help you just to get you to be quiet so you're not causing. I mean, we use strife to do like that, you know, to get what we want. The person that screams the loudest gets what they want, right? We're at a restaurant and the server, you know, gives us our food and, and, and we complain, especially about the taste of food. It's not hot or not cold and, and, and you know, about how it's cooked and stuff. And, and uh, the, you know, and, and we complain and we complain loudly. And then the next thing we know, we're like, oh, well, Pastor Allen's sermon is great today. And they're over here in the conversation about the, the sermon at church, yet we've just complained loudly about, you know, and it's like they have anything to do with the food. They just bring it out. You know what I'm saying? How we act in public makes a difference. Strife. Strife is what every church, every school, every company has to deal with. Corporations spend tons of money to teach employees how to get along. Because strife causes so many problems. Many of us have learned this through our parents or even our own behavior. That the way we get things done is just to scream. In our corporate world, the one who talks the loudest often gets promoted. Because they complain the most. So they get what they want. They become the aggressive ones. And they get promoted. But you know what? This is not how we as Christians should do things. This constant strife. The constant something is is wrong or someone is wrong, you know, and and they're going to get fired if they don't fix this. Hmm. You know, sometimes our our homes are full of strife. It's like if we're not fighting, we're bored. It can be so irritating. Right now, my kindergartner is like this in some ways. Not, Not always, you know, but sometimes it's like, it's just like getting him to do something is like pulling teeth. You know, he wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast this morning and not oatmeal. And getting him to eat that oatmeal, oh, man. It was like I was just yanking on his arm or a guy, you know, had a pair of pliers just yanking the teeth out, you know. He seems constantly irritated about something at this point. We don't know why. But his chocolate milk is not cold enough, or it's too warm, or set out too long, you know. Grayson, you know, the little one-year-old, touched his blanket. Oh, my gosh. The toy. His hand touched it. You know, we laugh about this for a kindergartner, but adults act like this. He has to do his homework. Oh, no. Now, I kind of have a problem with some of that, but, you know. But he's constantly mad about something sometimes, and it's really irritating. Because I want to have fun with him as a parent. I want to enjoy him being around. But I don't want his rudeness. I don't want his back talk. I don't want those things. So I'm going to parent and tell him that's not acceptable. You don't say that to mom. You don't say that to dad. You don't have that attitude. You know, the, yes. No, 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 no. You don't say it like that to me. I'm sorry. I'm the parent, you know. What's irritating is when God has to do that with me. 
between you. For some reason, we feel like we need to be fighting all the time. For some reason, if we stop fighting in the house, we have to fight with somebody outside the house. There's got to be a better way. And the Holy Spirit wants to enter our relationships. He wants to enter our homes. He wants to come through the men in the house. The Father house should be the most patient person in the house. And I'm praying about this. Because the leadership of the house should come together and understand that children in the house sometimes just act like children. And that's okay. My wife keeps reminding me, he's only five. I'm like, okay. But when adults act like children and teach children that strife is okay and that's the MO of getting things done, then it carries on to the next generation. And how sad is that? Because that generation begins to believe that that is acceptable behavior. Strife is an, you know, it's an indicator of, of selfish condition. Our belief that the world revolves around us. The world revolves around Alan. You guys know that, right? It's important for the Christian to admit, I will not always get my way. Just like it's important for my five-year-old to remember, he will not always get his way. Sometimes you don't get a peanut butter sandwich for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm sorry. Now, if we have an issue... We need to be nice about it. Well, I was next in line, but you seem to be in a hurry. That's okay for you to cut in front of me. I won't talk bad about you. I won't give you that look. Go ahead and cut in front of me while I'm driving. You know, the other day, I, uh, I kind of remind you, this tells you how old I am. I, I kind of re- There's an old Amy Grant song. The first concert that my wife and I ever went to, we, we hadn't met. We were both in sixth grade. Uh, or she was in seventh grade, I was in sixth grade. It was Amy Grant uh, out of Astroworld that's no longer there in Houston and, and so forth. But, but she had this song at the time, basically, that, that, that said, Lord, thank you for, for making me late to this, because if I wasn't late to that, then this would have happened. You know, thank you for giving me the ticket, because if I wouldn't, hadn't gotten the ticket, I would have been in an intersection and gotten into an accident. You know, and that's kind of always, you know, it's one of those first songs that you kind of listen to and, and, and know as a kid and stuff. And the other day, we were trying to go somewhere, and my son was running late, and I'm so weird. I'm like, Brandon, just get your shoes on and get in the car. I'm talking to him like that because I told him six times already to get his shoes on and get in the car. You know what I'm saying? So I finally get, come on. So we get in the car and we're going toward, you know, out of our subdivision and we get out, you know, on sunrise and we're almost to, to page and this car literally cuts through as it's turning off a page, cuts through our lane and I mean, was totally out of control. If I had been 10 seconds earlier, we would have been nailed. Sometimes we have to go, okay, Lord, you're slowing us down for a reason. Thank you for that. Sometimes we don't have to be in a hurry. Sometimes we we need to allow our children to see us. It's okay to let somebody cut in line every so often. You know what I'm saying? And, And not fight and not deal with somebody by getting in their face. Our children need to see that. Now, some of us are naturally contentious more than others. There's another word for it. My wife calls it being difficult. Alan, stop being difficult. So questions for a contentious person. Am I overbearing or too demanding? 
Am I bullying, bullying someone or intimidating someone? Am I bringing peace to a situation? Am I too loud? Do I listen more than I speak? This is, that's a fun one because um, I'm learning with my son. Sometimes he just wants to be able to say what he wants to say. Even though I know what he's fixing to say, and I'm like, Brandon, I know. I know, Brandon, you're not, I know. He just wants to be able to say what he wants to say. Sometimes I have to keep my mouth shut, let him say it, and then go, okay, now are you done? Good. We have to ask ourselves, am I kind? Do I care enough about the other person's feeling that I'm confronting? Because sometimes we do need to confront, but we need to watch someone's feelings as we do it. Do I care about the other people watching the conversation? Am I saying or doing things right now that I will later need to apologize for? Wow. That's a great question in the middle of an argument. Am I going to have to apologize for this? Should I back down and seek a better solution? Or why am I so upset about this? Because you know what? Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Which of my attitudes or actions or words are sinful? What calm person do I know that I should be imitating right now? And lastly, am I representing the Lord Jesus Christ well right now? It's important for us as Christians to realize being contentious, difficult, having strife is not okay in our Christian walk. Because if we can figure out how to get a hold of that and allow the Holy Spirit to work on that part of our lives... How much better would we be in this life as Christians? How much better would we be as, as fathers, our mothers, our siblings, our co-workers, as family members and extended family members? Oh, don't get me going on extended family members. As friends. See, our relationships would be, much, would be in a much better place without the strife that we carry around. We can have tenacity without stubbornness. We can have tenacity that going and getting, wanting to do something without sinful behavior. Now, if you're caught, you know, your child causes, uh, if you have a child that causes strife, you may have to deal with it. You just can't give in all the time because, I mean, that's just not good parenting just to, to give in to get them to just shut up, you know? That's not good parenting, okay? We need to pray for that child. For those that need to you know, hold on to, to Scripture uh, concerning strife, here's Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So those who struggle with this kind of stuff, you need to memorize this. You need to print it up. You need to stick it on the mirror. You need to stick it in the car, on the back door, wherever, you know, uh, at the dinner table, wherever it is. So when strife enters, you can think about this verse, and the Lord will give you an escape route that we've been talking about the last few weeks about sin, that he gives you an escape route. Don't stay in the immature, sinful, strifeful way in this life. There are other things to be upset about in this world. There's other things. All this little stuff, we need to just let it go. A person may say, well, Alan, why, why deal with the little stuff? You know, deal, let's deal with the bigger things like murder. Well, where do you think murder starts? 
People who can't control themselves. See, that's the beauty of God. He gives us self-control. Well, I'm almost out of time, but out of time, uh, time. But let's fit one more in. Last one, and we'll be done. The one, the word deceit. Purposely hiding or withholding the truth is called lying. In every form, some people use deceit on a daily basis. So much so that we feel that all politicians lie. That most businesses are out to cheat us. They're deceitful especially those, you know, dreaded Wall Street institutions or anything that has to do with money. They just want, I mean, and then you have Wells Fargo that, that just, uh, uh, you know, was taking money out of people's accounts to start other accounts, and then they were sticking the money back in. It was a way to make them look good so they would get bigger bonuses because they were starting up more accounts. And, and we wonder why we feel this way, Right? So as we live out our lives, we need to remember not to use deceit to get ahead. Because it'll turn you into somebody you don't want to be. Um, I shouldn't talk about my brother, but I will a little bit here because I think it's a good example. Because my mom and I were just talking about this. My brother is moving from, from a big corporate job. And he gets paid well in this corporate job. He worked for Cisco Foods. And he was in charge of like 180 accountants and all that kind of stuff. And, and they work you to death. And, and, but his, his attitude growing up, he was the playful kid. You know what I mean? The child that gets along with all the other children in the house. He was six years younger than all the rest of us and, and stuff. And everybody, I mean, Josh is a great guy, you know. But as he got into this corporate world, it became about money. It became about, I got to move ahead. I got to be able to get this much money to pay f- for, for all the stuff that I want. You know what I'm saying? And just recently, some stuff went on at work and stuff, and he's finally realized, I don't want this big corporate environment. I don't want this big company. So he, he, he went out and searched, and he's got a new job. He's going to have to move to Tennessee for it and stuff. But it's much better fitting for his personality. Because it's a smaller company. He doesn't have to have all that striving going on. Because he's the happy-go-lucky kid. We need to not let the corporate world, or whatever world we're in, change us to the point that we're not happy. And he wasn't happy. We need to do our due diligence in life. When someone gives you the wrong change and we keep it, what is that telling our kids? Company sends you two items, and you keep it when they only should have sent you one? Oh, man, I got some, I'm running out of time, but we, we got a sandbox out back of our house. I got two of those when I ordered it, and I looked on the box and said, well, so I called the company. Well, you sent me two. That thing sat on my porch for three stinking weeks. Oh, yeah, we'll send somebody to pick it up. Three weeks to sit on my porch. I'm like, well, if they don't come soon, I'm just going to give it away. I even called a friend. Do you need one? You know, we have to do our due diligence to, to get that stuff back. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't do these things. Don't say on the phone, you know, I'm, I'm feeling sick when I don't want to do something. You know, oh, no, I'm not feeling that well. Tell them something like, you know, it's not really a lie to say, I have other plans. You don't have to tell them what your plans are to sit in your nice big recliner and relax for the evening. That's a plan, okay? That's not a lie. It's a plan. But don't say we're sick when we're not sick. I I know. You're like, well, you're skating around. You're getting around. No, that's a plan, right? 
person asked me to do something first thing, and you'll get this if you ever call me, hey, Alan, what are you doing on Saturday? I don't know. What's going on? I'll never say nothing. Because depending on what's going on, what you need help with, I may have the time or I may not have the time depending on what my wife has planned for me and the kids. You know what I'm saying? It's always harder to tell the truth. But when you tell the truth, you don't have to cover up, you know, cover up for it later. See, the, the important thing is when you're tempted to lie or cheat is to say no. Because if we don't do it on the small things, then it doesn't become a huge thing. Now, telling the truth and being rude are two different things. You know, do you like my hair this way? Good answer. You have a choice. Oh, I love it when you don't. Or, oh, it's different. Or, man, that, that, that is the worst haircut you've ever gotten your whole life. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to be rude about it, but we don't lie about it at the same time. Again, the little stuff matters. If you develop a reputation of being ethical and honest in the long run, it'll benefit you. It will. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's not a 100-yard dash. You'll get a reward out of that. It says in, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that he rewards those who diligently seek him by being a person you know, of truth and integrity. And the cool thing is, if you're not this type of person, or you haven't been this type of person, you can start today being this type of person, and then over time, your reputation changes. In a couple of years, they go, man, that, you, know, you want to talk about somebody who has integrity, or, or you need a question to, to be answered about, you know, how does the company look when they do this, or, or something like that, or somebody to go to a good advice, go talk to them. That's the person you become. In the long run, you're the winner of that because of integrity. You know, I want my kids to copy me in life. Not what I do, but who I am. Does that make sense? I mean, oftentimes it'll be what I do, but what I do comes from who I am. So I need to be the man of integrity that the Lord calls me to be. And the Holy Spirit helps us be that type of person if we allow him to help us. And that's the key. Do we allow him to help us? I hope so. Well, why don't we stand up and pray next week or week after that we'll continue uh, in our journey in Romans. So, Lord, I, we, we covered so many different topics today, Lord. I, I just don't even know where to start other than to help us be the men and women of, of, uh, of God that we need to be. Allow the Holy Spirit to direct us in this life. Allow us to, uh, the Holy Spirit to prick our conscience when we lie. To remind us when we're causing strife between relationships or somewhere else. When we're not a good representative of you in this life, Lord. Help us on our journey as we, we try to mature. Every one of us in a different part of our journey, Lord. And, and help us hold one another to that account. And, and help us support one another as we go on this journey. Let us be there for each other. That we don't have to walk in with a mask here at church. We can be who we are. Sometimes we're having a difficult time and sometimes we're, we're having a great time. But you are the key, Lord, because you've saved us. 
You've allowed us to enter into your presence, and we can do that now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We get to be in that presence now because of your Holy Spirit, and we thank you for that, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and may he bless you this week when you don't cause strife, when you're benevolent with other people, when you don't have ill will toward other people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.